welcome to The Shakedown. My name is Ryan Forbes, a.k.a. Rainforest, and I'm here once again with my co-host, Malone. Say hello to, to the folks out there, Malone. Hello, folks out there. He's finally gotten his uh, his technology and uh, other stuff together so that he could be here and join us. And uh, My knowledge of science has now uh, expanded to the realm of of uh, cell phones and and uh, tablets to the point now where I can uh, communicate once again on the shakedown. I hopefully I sound a little bit better than I did the last time you heard me. We yeah I hope so and please let us know too if he wait what you guys think of the sound since the last time he's been on the show because we're hoping yeah. that, that it has improved maybe not dramatically but hopefully. It's an improvement since the last time he was on the show. Um, we bought an expensive microphone that did absolutely nothing. We're hoping it did something. Okay. We're hoping it's doing something right now. We don't know exactly what it's doing. It though. has a red light on it. It blinks. <laughs> it does blink. Um, so That's today... Much as it... <laughs> well, today, since we have Malone on here, um, I figured we were going to talk about something that we couldn't really get into... Uh, without Malone's expertise, which is uh, the different types of units that are out there and the different security levels um, because Malone has actually been on different types of uh, units um, with different security levels. And um, I have not, I've only heard stories about these units and uh, can only can only go by stories, but Malone has a bunch of his own stories and a bunch of his own experiences on these units and can talk about, can talk about them. Um, so in Texas, there's basically, uh, there's really only two types of units. There's medium security and then there's maximum security. Um, and medium security units, um, it's, yeah, it's basically they just have different populations that can go into it. Certain crimes and certain offenses can go into it. Certain um, um, certain types of populations. Generally, on the medium security units that I've been on, it is um, generally the population is older. They usually don't allow like people who are twenty six and younger on the units, except for under cert special certain under cir circumstances, and. Um, yeah, it's a it's an older population and usually only um, other types. Is that of, really the case? I tend to remember uh, your last couple of years on Stringfellow. There were quite a few people there that were uh, under thirty. I that was one thing I was thinking about too. Is like at Stringfellow there was a lot of youngsters, and even at Dalhart, we had one of my favorite people that was on that unit was um, under twenty six. But they were both like the both the people I can think of that were at string that were at a uh, Dalhart that were under 26. They got moved off really quickly. And at Stringfellow, something it was like something weird was happening. Like, I don't know if you remember this, but when all the youngsters were coming on, it was like Stringfellow was changing in general. And also we had the pandemic, which kind of flipped everything on its head. We had a lot of things. Had, you had a number of different things going on in Stringfellow because, first, okay, well, the main thing is Stringfellow that I think brings on majority of the 
of, of the younger guys that were there was that sex offender program. Right. Because, you know, that, that didn't have a that didn't have an age limit to it. And quite a bit of the people that were over there were under 30. Right. And so then on the other hand, we had uh, we had we had all just come back from uh, the the evacuation from from the Hurricane Harvey thing. We'd been gone for I mean the, I'm talking about the Jewish program that was there had been gone for six months or so or or more, and we were brought back. When we were brought back, the unit had the demographic on the unit had dramatically changed because they, of course, shipped all the other guys off. They were scattered throughout Texas. And the, the people that they brought in were from a, uh, I think they were from a, what it was it the Larry Gist unit, which was a, it's just like a state jail type of thing or, or a holdover facility. It's one of those places where, you know, they, they, they stage uh, a large number of inmates until they can get them to a more permanent place. Right. And that's when I came in. I, I got moved in after the hurricane right. is when they, they moved me over. Right. You got there right after the hurricane thing. And uh, so you didn't know what it was like before the hurricane. Right. But the, the, the population was older before, other than the sex offender program. It was, it, it was noticeably older. Then after that, though, they had, uh, it, it completely, it had changed dramatically. I mean, it was it was a completely different unit, which is interesting to note that the age difference on, on uh, of prisons, whenever you're, you're talking about like the classification uh, uh, system, and they send older older inmates to populate one particular unit within the the culture of that unit, then dramatically changes. You go out to the rec yard whenever before the flood, and it was a pretty laid back affair. After that, you know there was like some pretty serious tension going on out there that yeah that's absolutely true um it and uh and i remember that was a big thing like even i mean like covid especially there was a bunch of like the, that whole shift around and everything like everything going on after that it was a whole big change up I know right after the hurricane, they moved me out to Ramsey and and then eventually over to Stringfellow. Um, and Ramsey said the exact same thing. They said like it was like half of the population had changed when I went to Ramsey. And it was and they said that the whole the whole um, vibe on at, like on the rec yard and everywhere had totally changed. And there were a lot. There were a lot more youngsters there too. It's just kind of funny. Uh, as just a little uh, aside to that story, I can remember whenever we got off the bus, the, the whole entire Jewish community came back at one time. And when we got off the bus coming back to the unit, I have never seen prison guards that were happy to see inmates. As th these guys were literally like, "Oh man, we're so glad y'all are back." They were hoping it was it was the beginning of switching over the whole unit because they had had a really rough time with dealing with those kids. <laughs> <laughs> they did. <laughs> it was pretty funny to see us coming back and see these all these Nigerians like like just smiles on their faces, telling us how happy they are to see us. <laughs> well, that happy is crazy. <laughs> It was, that's a surreal scene. Even the major was there. The major was like, "Man, I finally maybe I finally can get somebody to do some work around 
which is that's hilarious considering how <laughs> how upset they get whenever we they had to do something for one of our services. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's it's it doesn't. I mean, some sometimes you get caught in some some scenarios in prison where it just makes you scratch your head, and it's, it's just uh, it's reality flipped on its ear. It's weird, right? Um. Yeah, so let's see what else is going on. Um, so the other thing was, all right, um, so we had those, those type of units, and we also, like, in prison terms, I'm like, I remember when I first got locked up, everyone talked about rock and roll versus Cadillac units, and you did not want to go to a rock and roll unit because it was everything was going to be on there. And then, and then you wanted everyone wanted to go to a Cadillac unit where it was going to be so much easier. So, Malone, you you know, you you know this for sure. So please talk talk about uh, rock and roll versus Cadillac. All right. Well, y'all having not been uh, privy to the prior conversation that I and uh, Rainforest have had about about this topic. I'm going to give y'all, I'm going to start this with a few of my, my reservations about talking about this because a lot of my information is dated and or what I'm, the stories that I, that I can tell about one versus the other or where I went. You're talking about uh, a lot of these places that was in the early 90s or in the, or in the uh, early 2000s and TDC has been through a lot of changes. They've, they've always had uh, classification rules in TDC. They just haven't always adhered to them. For the longest time, they just had a, a, a warden or a classification. People just had free reign. They could do whatever they want, and there was never any any consequences to their misclassification of anybody. They could put anybody wherever the hell they wanted to, and they could always claim security or something like that, you know, whatever they wanted to claim uh, to get away with it. So, me being... 18 or 19 years old, whenever they uh, sent me to actual prison from the county jail. Nowadays, they would have sent me to a youth offender program. They have a they have a program set aside on the Clemens unit in Brazoria County, which is for juveniles that have been convicted of or been um, uh, certified as adults and then convicted as adults and, and sent to actual adult prison. They don't really send them to adult prison anymore. They send them to this program where they're all by, them, where they're by themselves because of the the history of abuse that TDC has had, specifically of those kind of, of, of that category of inmate. So they didn't care about that. Matter of fact, they wanted all the bad stuff to happen to you that could happen happened to you whenever I first came to prison. They felt like, you know, we, we were coming out of a day and age, TDC was coming out of the day and age of the uh, building tenders. And they were building, um, they had a massive prison buildup at that time. So they, they went from having like 50 units to having 150 units in a very short period of time. And their mindset was still the mindset that they had from the revolving door years whenever people didn't do, do that much prison time. They didn't. You, they made prison extremely rough because you weren't going to spend a very, a very lot of time there. So, you know, your two, three, four, five, six years that you might spend in prison for whatever for whatever crime you may have committed, 
they wanted it to be a, a real shock to your system so you'd never come back. And vice versa, you weren't going to spend that much time there doing it. But then whenever they changed it all up and they changed the rules and they made it to where everybody was going to, everybody that they sent to prison was going to be doing a ridiculous amount of time. They didn't change the mentality, though, that prison needed to be an extreme shock to your system. Just this, this violent, lawless place where there was the rule of the jungle type of thing was going on. So the units that they sent, especially whenever you... And they treat, and once again, this is another thing that TDC does, where they treat juveniles worse than adults. If you're an older an adult at that time, well, then they wouldn't send you to one of those places. They would send you, they would give you the benefit of the doubt and send you to a Cadillac farm or send you someplace where you could, you know, because uh, they assume that you're that you're calm and laid back and everything after a certain age. But they assume the opposite of you if you're a certain if you're if you're very young. They assume you're going to be a problem to them. So what they wanted to do was to send you to these gladiator farms where they can get that snot beat out of you on a regular basis. And they can, you know, people are constantly trying to rape you, constantly trying to extort you for money. Extortion was the biggest thing. That was the, the A number one uh, 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 crime of prison whenever I got there was extortion. And as soon as you get there, somebody is going to, I mean, people cannot wait to rush to be the first one to try to extort you. I mean, it was, it was literally so prevalent that there, uh, uh, I mean, there was, there was a, there was just this, this mad rush to every new guy they got there to see if they could be the first one to, to extort them out of their money. Are you going to pay me for protection? The protection racket is what it was. And so if you say, no, you're not going to protect you, then you're going to get, you are going to face a gauntlet of fights, which is what I went through. So the first unit I went to was Beto one. Beto one is, all, is one of the gladiator farms that he's talking about that rainforest is mentioning. That's what they call it. Gladiator farms. And, in the early 90s, what you did there, that whenever you were a teenager sent there, is they were going to put you in the fields. You're going to the, do extremely harsh physical labor, which is going, they literally woke you up at four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> at four o'clock, if you didn't go to breakfast, that is. If you went to breakfast, you got up at two o'clock in the morning. And you might as well not go back to sleep whenever you get back from breakfast because you're going to be woke up again at four o'clock telling you to get ready for work. They roll the doors and they they stage everybody outside the cells on the run, waiting for the field laws to come in. The field laws are going to all the other wings doing picking up their inmates. Each one has his own. Each one of these guards has his own particular squad, and so he comes with this paperwork and rosters everybody in to see who showed up for work and who didn't show up for work. And then they're going to tell you to. Run. They call it. They had this code word that they used for running, which was called, which way they would say, "Give me a light, light." I don't know what the hell that was supposed to mean. Uh, a light jog, a light run, maybe I don't know. But they would say, "Give me a light, light to the gate." And what that meant is that you're going to form a little unit like you're in the military, and you're going to run to the gate. And then from that gate, you run to the next gate. You run to the back dock. And then you stand on the back dock until the sun comes up. And when the sun comes up, you run and get on a wagon. And then the wagon takes you out to where to the field where you're going to be working in. Then you run from spot to spot where you're going to be using this massive industrial strength garden hoe to be a human lawnmower for the rest of the day. You're going to sit there and they call it four-stepping, where you, you 
they, they, they would tell you, I want it head high. And you had, and so you had to get your the head of your Aggie up as high as your head. And then you had to keep time with everybody else when they would go one, two, three, four step. And then you'd step with everybody else and you would clear entire fields of weeds and grass, just flipping grass over all day long. About twelve, well, about eleven o'clock, they bring you back in. They let you eat lunch for an hour, and then at twelve o'clock, you go back out and you stay out for the remainder of the day till about three o'clock. And when you came in, you were so tired that you couldn't even think straight. If you think that, uh, think uh, back to the scene in uh, in Stir Crazy, whenever Gene Wilder and uh, and uh, Richard Pryor would come in from the come in from the field work, and how they were so tired, they would say they were screaming, they can't feel their legs and stuff like. That's what you would go through. People would come back in, and they and they collapse in their cells and fall asleep for the rest of the day until they have to do it again the next day. Is there a rainforest? Hey, uh, Ask me some questions or something. Give me some prompts. Don't just let me rant on like this. No, that was a good rant. I was going to say, I remember, I remember four stepping. I was right across the street from Beto one in Gurney and, uh, heard plenty of the stories about, uh, about Gurney. I had a, there was a guy, um, that I, I really liked who was, I was locked up with in Gurney and, um, he had a murder charge and he was, um, and basically he was. Um, basically his story was he was in the car when, um, he was in the car while his buddy was doing a drug deal. And then like the, the guy, um, killed the person who was inside, inside doing like, like the guy, his partner went inside the house to do the drug deal, then killed the person who was supposed to be doing the deal with. And they both got murder charges because he helped, you know, because that's the law in Texas is everyone. Anyone around get, gets uh, gets the murder charge, and then, and then and um and so he got like um he was he was really worried about where he was gonna head off to, and he had he went off to Beto, and he was he was pretty messed up about that, and um, he was messed up about ending. I, I messed up about what. About ending up on Beto, he didn't want to go there. Well, he just he found out we we found out like he was going on chain, and then where he was going on chain too, and it was Beto. It just so that that that's where he that was his unit that he was assigned to. So, <clears throat> and we and like we had already like while I was yeah. there, I remember there was like there were like helicopters. There had been a, like riots and stuff like that at Beto. Like, since it was across the street, we could see everything going on uh, and see all the stuff going on over there, which happened pretty frequently. Um, even when I was there in the in 2015. So, um, yeah, it was not Whenever a good place. I here, I, shortly after getting, of course, you know, that's why I mentioned the extortion thing, because, you know, and, and all the fighting that you're going to be doing, because... I racked up quite a number of, of uh, fighting cases right upon getting to the unit only because you know, I'm protecting myself against these extortionists. And, and uh, on top of that, I was getting getting cases for not going to the for going to work, primarily because like the uh, uh, first I, I remember the first day that they took us out to those fields was I hadn't been in the sun 
for any, in any kind of period of time for like over two years at that point. And I burn, I mean, I'm talking about, I am, I've already, I mean, Rainforest knows I, I have the worst skin in the world when it comes to the sun. I cannot, I do, I do not tan. I do, I'm, if you're seeing my face right now, <laughs> you're seeing how pale I am. There's a reason for that. Uh, I'm a, I mean, I, I burn like a vampire in sunlight. And so that first day that they had me out there, I got a, I mean, I had blisters on the backs of my ears from, from where the sun was hitting me. I was bad. I was barbecued. I was trying, I couldn't even let, I mean, after I mean, the first day, it didn't really bother me so bad, but then whenever it got really worse, I couldn't even, couldn't even sleep because I'm laying in my bunk. And if I turned my head one way or the other, the back of my ears were going to hit my pillow. And it was like, it was, it was extremely painful. So, I mean, I was, I just, I couldn't make it to work the next day. So, you know, they came to me and they, they wrote me a case and all that. And I told them, I said, man, I, I'd love to go to work, but I can't. I'm, I am so burnt up right now that I cannot take another day of that sunlight. And of course that didn't matter. I mean, the, the, the cases still went through. And so very shortly after that, I went to medium custody and I had to go through a gauntlet of, of, of fights on medium custody, uh, uh, Going, you know, people were coming to me. Oh, we, we you know, the, the blacks wanted to test me. The the Mexican, it's a race thing too, by the way. You know, they come to you uh, in groups, and the blacks always get the first because they had the, the majority of the numbers back then. So they were the first one to be able to to try you, and then the Mexicans would try you, and then after that, the white guys would try you to see if you, see if you're going to uh, if you're weak, and they're you know they can uh, extort you for money or whatever they can do do to you. So. After going through that on medium custody, then right after that, uh, the the number of cases that I had, I was still going through some of these. I, I still hadn't been to court and all that, or been or getting my punishment for. I'm trying to uh, condense a very long story here, <laughs> so please bear with me. So I was out there in the fields one day, and I had gotten into it with one of these field laws that started. You know, had got the. I'm not even completely sure how it got started, but it had something to do with an ax. I was supposed to be chopping trees down and they gave me a pair of goggles that, that were so cloudy that you couldn't see through them. And they're supposed to be safety goggles to wear over your eyes. And so I rested them on my forehead and just started chopping the trees. And so they came over there and started yelling at me about this. And so I put the goggles on and of course I couldn't see the tree and I completely missed it. And so then they started yelling at me some more and they thought that I had said something back to them, which I didn't, but they got it in their head that I did. So. They set me up the next day when I went out to the fields. They put me in the close, the, the highest custody level squad, and I got jumped on by a group of guys coming back in from that squad, coming in, going to uh, lunch when we were coming in for the midday part. And like five guys literally were beating me up at one time. Whenever they got done, my field law told them, hey, y'all go ahead and go to chow. And they wrote me a disciplinary case and say, I, for assaulting an inmate that wasn't even there. It was kind of funny because when I went to court, I, they had the they had the 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 statement from the inmate that I supposedly assaulted, and he was like, "I know inmate Malone, and inmate Malone has never assaulted me. He's never touched me. He's a friend of mine, as a matter of fact. And and I don't even know what y'all are talking about. And they still found me guilty of this assault, and so they sent me to close custody. So I go to close custody, and the 
And the first day that I am there on close custody, I get beat up so bad. I had to fight three white guys back to back. I had to go to the cell, and there was three white dudes up there waiting on me. Now, I weighed uh, I was 19, and I weighed 139 pounds. I was a toothpick. And I went in the cell, and they had the first guy, his name was Sonny Reeves. And he was huge. And the other guys in there like had nicknames like Baby Huey and all that. They were even bigger than him. And these three guys beat me so mercilessly that I had to go to the free world emergency room. They had to put me in a van and take me to the take me to the actual free world hospital. The infirmary couldn't even couldn't even do anything for me. I was so con- badly concussed, and my both they thought both my cheekbones were broken at the time. Turns out they weren't. My nose was badly broken, but not my cheekbones. And they were just really swollen. The back of my head had been busted open from hitting the wall and everything. And I had such a concussion, I couldn't even stand up straight. Every time I stood up, I'd get dizzy and you know want to throw up and all this other stuff. It was horrible. So that's a, that's a good example of what goes on back in the early 90s in on these gladiator farms. I went, that wasn't the only one that was on. And it wasn't, it's, I mean, I, I have similar stories about well, the, after that, they shipped me to, uh, whenever I got back from the hospital, they put me in... Um, well, on let, a transient. Yeah. Huh? No, yeah, let's let's cut it right here because we're we're running out of time for this episode, but I think what I want to do, let's let's um we'll continue it in the next one because we're um as I said before, we're doing a bunch of these episodes back to back and then since we've got Malone here, we're going to do a bunch of Malone episodes back to back too. So, um everyone can look forward to seeing Malone's lovely face here um in the coming episodes and um yeah so we'll talk yes and um so um yeah so please come back um and once again the reason we just bring up this topic and bring up all this stuff at all and like Malone's story is is like yeah there's no rehabilitation going on here as talking about working in the fields talking about these different security levels does not there's no healthy benefit to it and once again is as Malone just talked about is like it ends up uh ends up being manipulations and things like that that are I mean they can be real negative lessons that people take out and use out in the world to do more horrible things um but anyway um questions comments please um adam um send them our way um and thank you for listening to the show and we can't wait to have the next one we'll talk to you soon the shakedown was produced at longmont public media and our theme song shakedown was brought to you by invato elements if you want any shakedown merchandise or you want to support the show you can go to waywordpress.com That's W-A-Y-W-O-R-D press dot com.